Hello there, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny and purpose. And there is all the very solid objective as well as subjective witness from many fields, objectively of science and archaeology and also subjectively, that one can experience in their, uh, their life knowing that what they have found is genuinely real. I am talking about the one true eternal God who is the very source of reality. The ver very source of reality is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love. A love that is the highest and purest form of love, obviously. A love that is so pure it always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Obviously, any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is as a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. And this love is so great that God Yes, God is great enough to humble himself to behold the things that are in the heavens. And the things that are in the heaven of heavens. And yes, the things that are in the earth. In fact, he is so great that he can come down and communicate with man. How could you limit God to think that he's only so great that he could not do that when he is the source of all creation? In Genesis 18, you can read in the Bible, that Abraham has three angels that he sees at his tent door just before him a short distance. And he comes before them and invites them with, and says, I want to make a meal for you. And they have a meal together. And the main leader eats food as well, of course. And Abraham addresses him as Yahweh, the most sacred name for God. You see in the Old Testament, in the King James, it's a, usually the word is together like the Lord God. The word Lord is in the original Yahweh, or some like to call it Jehovah, which is not as accurate as Yahweh. And then the word for God normally is Elohim, which literally in the original is Almighty's. And that's referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, God communicated with Abraham, and his love is so great that he didn't only communicate with Abraham, but it was always within God's being because his love is so perfect that he could come to this world and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, as he did in Jesus Christ on the cross. So that you could choose to repent of your sins and be forgiven. He became a perfect, substitutionary, atoning sacrifice for you. He poured out his body onto death and his life's blood onto death. And he rose again the third day for you. And I've written a book called God, pardon me, called Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, which you can get on Amazon. 
And there you will find the genuine Christians who are highly verified by medical equipments and doctors that have been dead for a long time when they were before Jesus Christ. The Lord showed them such an intensity of love that's far greater than anything that can exist in this dimension. You couldn't even describe how great God's, the love of Christ was towards them. And they all say the same thing, that the love was so great that they knew that if God only created them, he would have died for them, suffered for them, and humbled himself for them unto death on the cross of the if he only created them. He would have done that. That's how intense the love, it was like they felt they were the only one that God loved in the whole universe and they were the apple of his eye. They all say this, basically, that's how intense his love is for them. How can you refuse a God who is the very source of such ultimate love that is so perfect and pure that will not tolerate corruption? Love, this love, is the destroyer of corruption and it is the ultimate trustworthiness that could only be worthy to be entrusted with unlimited authority and power and life without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative that God is the very source of love and of life. Not only this, this God is the Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because he must be in personage to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, in creation, and in omnipresence, filling all creation. If you were God, and you had to rule in those three ultimate aspects of existence, you would have to be also in three personages to do it, because if you're not in intelligent consciousness, in personage and all of those three ultimate aspects of existence, you wouldn't be ruling over it or in it. But no, God is so great that he, as the Father, which represents being the originator and the one that is beyond time and space, beyond creation, and who knows the end from the beginning, and who always had this love that was so great that he could die on the cross for you if you were the only one he created. How can you reject such love? He humbled himself more than you. He suffered more than you because he loved you so much and you're going to reject him? He wants you to come to him and repent. He will give you the strength to overcome the corruption that is in your heart. Once you receive him into your life, that corruption begins to die and die and die and be more and more replaced with the love of God and the life of God. This is a wonderful message. It's a wonderful message. And I'm here as a representative, a humble representative or ambassador of the supreme intelligence of the universe because there is any love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice that as such would have a measure of corruption and is obviously supremely intelligent. And God is the very source, of course, of all that is good. He created us 
not as robots, with the, but with the capacity to love by giving us our own free will. In other words, we're the source of our own action. And as thus, we're self-responsible to create our own destiny by our own choices. And so when we make choices that are contrary to the love of God, we are cut off from God because God cannot contone what is corrupt, what is contrary to life and wholeness and goodness. So we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we can be reconciled to God because God is so good that he is not only so integrous in his love to judge the slightest and to be very severe in all of our lives, and yes, we can get focused in all the suffering in this world and the suffering in our own life and say, if there's a God, why did he do all this? Without realizing that it must be that there is the reaping and sowing, that there's consequences. When you bounce against what is ultimate reality in a wrong way, you're going to have negative consequences. And when you bounce against it in a right way, being receptive and in conformity to the love of God, receiving God's love by receiving his power to forgive you through his blood that was shed on the cross, then you will be bouncing off that reality. It says that this stone, which represents the reality of God, whoever resists and rebels against this stone, which represents God, will be crushed to powder. But whoever re receives him will be broken, but he will be broken onto life. The rock that Moses smote in the wilderness split forth and there was life. Water came out to feed the children of Israel in the desert. I want to share with you today how I share these messages. This is a video that's kind of an introduction to because I've finally got a setup here where I can do decent videos, okay? So this is the first one for ongoing messages. And I want to share with you today that I will seek to speak out of the Spirit of God. Nothing is prepared here. There's a scripture in 1 Peter 4.11 that says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And in the early church, when they came together, not around some person or some program or entertainment, but around Jesus Christ to meet with him. When they came together, yes, they had leadership and so on. There was total freedom for them to share. So, and what happens is one would have a song, another a, a testimony, another word of encouragement, another a prophetic word, another another gift of the Spirit would manifest. They sought to let God speak through them. And this is clarified and understood by another scripture, uh, Revelations 19.10 says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a pure heart and great love and reverence for God, we are filled with a spirit and an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances that are not our own, that are beyond ourselves. You see, it says that it's out of worship that flows the spirit of prophecy that testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ is reality, the source of reality, God. Yes, he is. In Christ dwells the Father and the Holy Spirit. 
in the Father dwells the Son and the Holy Spirit, and in the Holy Spirit dwells the Father and the Son in omnipresence. One God, not three gods, one God in three personages. In total loving union with each other, so that they are totally one and totally God. The Almighty's, as is described in the Hebrew, Elohim, meaning the Almighty's, Yahweh Elohim. Whenever I use those words, Yahweh, Almighty's, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I feel the joy of God fill me when I'm in prayer and I spend two or more hours a day in prayer, usually except on Sunday because I spent a lot of time in fellowship with God's people and other things, right? So I want to share with you that also to facilitate speaking prophetically is the oracles of God. I cast lots to get the possibility of any two scriptures from the Word of God. I do that by using two independent random applications on the Internet. I do it with great reverence, and if you do this and you don't do it with great reverence or you have sin in your life, it's not going to work if you haven't repented of sin. And I get two chapters from the Word of God so that they will bear witness with each other as to what is the theme. And I meditate on those two chapters for only half an hour and then I speak. And that is what I'm doing right now. The first, this is the first one I'm doing in a while. I have other videos up on my site at loverealize.com from a long time back, about a year ago. But the video quality isn't as good. But anyhow, they're up there on loverealize.com. And so this one here is the one that's really introducing you on video to all of this. And I want you to, so I... I, and, you know, there's people that they're so religious, they think, oh, you're committing, no, you're not committing div divination. If you're walking in righteousness and you do this out of a pure heart and faith, it was used extensively in the Old Testament or in the pre-Christ, pre-Messiah scriptures. Maybe that's the better way to say it. And it was also used by the early church to choose Jude, uh, the apostle to take Judas's place and probably a lot more than that. It was used by powerful movements of revival in church history like the Moravians, which even chose their own wives by the casting of Lot. And that was a powerful movement of revival. Many people were converted. So I want to share with you what I received by the casting of Lot today. I also often get my songs by the casting of the Lot, which is the case today, but not always. So today I want to share with you uh, the worship song. So we'll sing with that worship song first. So I'm going to bring up my website. And really, before I do this, I should introduce people that are new to my website at ultimatemeaning.com as well. If you're new and you don't know a lot about this, I'm going to go here right now before the song and just quickly introduce you to that. There's a song right there. And I'm going to have to open up, I think, another tab here just to... I wasn't planning this, but I feel I should introduce you to this website. It is titled ultimatemeaning.com. And um, I think I, um, 
I didn't minimize myself yet, so I'll do that right now. One sec. Good. Should be. I assume I'm minimized. Oh, oh, oh. let's just make sure I'm minimized here first. Uh, I just want to make sure. Kind of got mixed up on that. Yeah, I am. Um, so, there's a flip book on here. Here it is which are free to read. It's 26 pages. Very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me that you can read and you can use it as an evangelistic tool as well. Or downloaded. I think it's downloadable. I'll have to check on that. Um, as you can see, it, it, everything that's in red print are links to YouTube videos, most of which are very profound and amazing from many fields of science and archaeology. For example, in here, there's high-quality documentaries on the Ark that was found in Israel by um, Ron Wyatt, and that is undeniable evidence. The Israeli government has known that the Ark exists for a long time. They found it, I think, a number of decades ago through Ron Wyatt, and it's got a documentary and all of that here. Very... You know, you see him there. He's dug. He dug for years in those tunnels with other people. You can see him digging there. The whole thing is undeniable facts. Um, and so that's that documentary is all there. And they even mention in the documentary about the six people that Israeli authorities sent in there to try to retrieve the ark. They were smitten dead by the ark. But uh, that's all on there. All of this stuff is in this uh, video here, um, or this uh, in the links here. And there's lots of exposing the mastery of deception of the theory of evolution, which is a bunch of pseudoscience and total, total deception. There are many thousands of scientists, which I have a links to in that book, that do not believe in the theory of evolution. It's a, it's a big lie. It's, oh, it's a mastery of deception. They talk like it's fact. It's pseudoscience. Okay, so here we go um, with this beautiful worship song.
Oh, is that a wonderful love song? It's based on some of the love descriptions towards God in the Song of Solomon. And um, I have on my website here at loverealize.com under worship songs, probably well over a hundred high quality. Most of them, there's a few maybe I don't like that much that I might get out, but they're most, they're almost, they're all on YouTube videos. So you can, if you have a projector and you can play YouTube on your projector, you can use them in your church because nowadays the typical music in the church that I've observed in a lot of charismatic and Pentecostal churches, for the most part, is very shallow in the words and in the meaning and in the creativity. These are songs that have come out of great creativity, which comes in a congregation when they are facilitated, as I said, to be able to come forth and stir up the gifts of the Spirit in each member of the body, which is the new order that God is calling the body of Christ in. And he's calling the church to wake up again and become his house of prayer and his house of holiness. He is restoring his spiritual temple because his desire and his zeal is to inhabit that temple with the fullness of his glory in local assemblies across your nation of United States and across this nation that I'm in in Canada and around the world so that John 17 is fulfilled in these last days and all the counterfeit temples of Satan will crumble when this temple is built in local assemblies. You want to conquer your nation? You want to conquer your nation? You see all the terrible corruption that is happening? The attempt of tyranny by using deceptive means is so evident in so many areas right now. The danger of atomic warfare and so on. All of these things are so urgent. How can you continue to be the typical church? You're, you know, when you're in a body of believers where everyone's alive and moving in the gifts of the Spirit, I can tell you it's not boring. And I can tell you they don't create songs that are monotonous tunes with shallow words and repeat them over and over and over again and get into some kind of a hype psych. No, there's creativity, there's prophetic utterances. In fact, you can sing out a song that's totally new and if someone records it, there you've got your song. It came out of the spirit of prophecy, out of a pure heart. And today, I want to share with you what I received by the casting of Lot. And so we will do that right now. I will go to the Word of God right here. No, I don't need that up. I'm going to just bring up this one here. That's all I need. Today I received Numbers 12 and Deuteronomy 23 on January the 24th of 2023. And so I'm going to start reading some of these verses. But first of all, I want to point out what I see is the scriptures that are bearing witness with each other in these two chapters. So I've highlighted that in green. And we read here, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him I will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? There's a lot of people nowadays in the body of Christ that gossip behind people's backs about others. And that's part of it. 
But I want to go into this a bit more, of course. And then there is the one I received in Deuteronomy, and it's this. But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. That's what Aaron and Miriam did. They lightly esteemed Moses. And this scripture here in Deuteronomy 32 is the song of Moses just before he went out to Mount Nebo and God told him he would die there and couldn't see the promised land because he fell short at, at the end as well in his striving against so much rebellion that was in the children of Israel. And so we must be cautious when we're living in a land of abundance that we do not become pr proud. And you aren't conscious when you're proud that you're proud. You become presumptuous to do things and to speak behind people's backs, for example, and falsely accuse them. Because you don't have the genuine fear of God in you, you'd recognize that they're created in the image of God. You'd have God's love in your heart to see them in a totally different way. Because the Word of God says, henceforth we know no man after the flesh. Even though we knew Christ Jesus after the flesh, henceforth we know him no more but after the Spirit. But so many people nowadays, even Christians, because they're so filled with the world and there's hardness in their heart, they do not have love in their heart. Christ said we're to receive one another as he received us, and he received us as sinners. We're to show mercy to one another. We're to be patient with one another. So I want to begin to read some of these scriptures. I know I've already been speaking for a long time, but that's fine. I'm going to go as long as the Spirit of God wants me to go here. And so we begin reading in Numbers 12. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord, which is Yahweh in the original, by the way, came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So they should have had fear. Not a negative and an unhealthy fear, but a fear that is reverential and respectful. And when you really love something or someone, 
you treat them as exceedingly precious. You don't hurt them. You don't say things that are disrespectful to them. That's not love. There's a place for reproof. There's a place for all of those things in a right spirit and a spirit of meekness. And so we read here, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed, and the cloud departed off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow, and Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days. And after that, let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days. And the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. I mean, Miriam was someone that they really looked up to. She was the one that led the dances when they came out of the Red Sea and they were rejoicing before God. She was a wonderful woman. But she fell in to this disrespect for Moses. Disrespect. I mean, here's someone that's been through the crucible of much trial. Moses has. He was in the wilderness. He, <clears throat> the powerful miracles that came through him, and you're not going to respect someone that God has raised up? Wow. That's scary. But the root of it is pride. The root of it is what is against the fear of the Lord, the genuine fear of the Lord. Because the genuine fear of the Lord always births humility before God. And that humility drives us to a place of great honesty and transparency before God. So that we say like the psalmist, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And then God, and then we have a heart that's humble and repentant before God. And when we have a heart that's humble and repentant before God, and we're in absolute reverence of God, we're going to have that manifested in appreciating many times how merciful and long-suffering God is to us because he exposes things in us that are still so corrupt. He exposes the pride, and when we see it, it's like a filthy garment. We want to cast it off. Because we're in the light of God's presence, we're coming before him and saying like the psalmist, shine your light on me and I'm here to search my heart. Am I walking in humility before you and before others? Am I walking with genuine love towards others where I am willing to wash their feet and say that I appreciate this and this and them, even though they may have offended me severely? Am I having such a love that I'm willing to lay down my life for them by not confronting them in a wrong way, but first going and sharing my faults with them so that then they will be open for me in a right spirit to share something that may have offended me that they did to me. 
God wants us to wash one another's feet spiritually. And it's good to practice it literally or polish your shoes if you find you're worried about losing the paint off your toenail if you're a lady or whatever. Well, then polish the shoes, but humble yourselves before one another. It says we're to share one another's faults that ye may be healed. And that's what God's wanting in the body of Christ. So this is what we find here in Numbers chapter 12. God is calling his people back to the genuine fear of God. And let me just define that the way God has led me to teach it, okay? And it's something, you know, the scribe brings out of his treasures things that are old and things that are new. This is one of the things I will continually repeat in a lot of my messages. Because to me, there's no more clear way to bring across to people what genuine conversion is, what the genuine fear of God is. You know, people that say that they've said the sinner's prayer, they go forward and they pray a prayer and they think they're saved, and it's just been from their head because they want to be part of a group, group that loves them, they may end up being genuinely converted, but there's many cases where they could have totally wrong motives. Christ said, whoever believes in me, in the literal Greek it is, believes with their life into me, out of their innermost being would flow rivers of living water, which is the Spirit of God. Now, what does it mean to believe from the heart in God? It is involving the fear of God. Because he that comes to God must believe that he is. For one thing, that's a scripture I'm quoting. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, when we come to realize the emptiness in our lives before we're converted, and we come to realize how people have deceived us with telling us these false pseudoscience teachings of evolution or whatever it is that we've come to buy into that is hopeless and that allows us to justify corruption and destruction in our life and lead us in a path that's destructive and hopeless in our lives. No wonder so many people commit suicide when they believe there's no purpose or meaning because they believe some of these false teachings. But here's the thing. We want to be those that rightly perceive God. The fear of God is a choice that involves a deep turning from the heart to rightly recognize who God is, that he, to be ultimately trustworthy and worthy to be the one that is the source of ultimate authority, life and power, and the source of creation, he must have a quality that is ultimately trustworthy, and that quality can only be that he judges sin, because the fear of God is always aligned with the conscience that God has given us all. And in our conscience, we know good from bad, and we know that for there to be good, what is corrupt must be judged, because what is corrupt destroys goodness. And love is the ultimate destroyer of goodness, the love that is the holiness of God, which is the integrity of, of his love that will not tolerate what is contrary to love. A love that is so pure that it is the very source of creativity, of life, and of beauty, and so great that, it, that God took the judgment upon himself in Jesus Christ for you. There is no 
love greater than this love that can be imagined or that can exist that is greater than this love, which is who God is. It says God is love, agape love, which is this highest form of love, greater than the filial love that involves the feelings and the eros love, which is the lowest form of love. Of course, that's totally, God created that to be used in submission to the greater love, the filio, and the greater love than the filio, the agape love, in that order, which is why it's important that we know how to contain and self-control over the temporal delusional baits of this world that the enemy can use, such as the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the Bible talks about all of these things to manipulate us in a direction by other powers and things and in our own lives that leads us in a path that is destructive. So the fear of God is reciprocating God first in his holiness. I could go into a lot of teaching on this, but Cain basically brought the wrong sacrifice before God because he got focused on the consequences of God's judgment in his own life and in the suffering around him and then had a warped view of God being some ultimate power that needed to be submitted to uh, because he was kind of like, though he would never say he was, but in his heart he was perceiving him as some uh, enigma or like a tyrant and uh, that deserved. And then you can begin easily then thinking, oh, maybe there's other gods just as powerful as this God. And so polytheism comes into play out of an idolatrous monotheistic perception of God that he isn't great enough to communicate with man, that he isn't great enough to be able to provide them forgiveness. But I've shared with you about that. The fear of God is to reciprocate God first in the integrity of his love, which is his holiness, out of which you can only then reciprocate God in his mercy and cry out and really mean it from the depths of your heart, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and know that you've been forgiven and cleansed because God, himself loved you so much that in the center of history in Jesus Christ he came on the cross and of course John the Baptist said behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world the lambs were what they offered before Christ came which was a picture and a foretype of Christ who would come but they always believed from the time of Adam and Eve that it was only God that had the power to forgive not the animal. The animal didn't do the forgiving. And they probably, many of them, recognized that God had such an ultimate quality of love that he could and always was able himself to become a perfect atoning sacrifice. And so people like Enoch had such a close relationship with God and Elijah that they were literally translated from this life into the next without dying. In my book, Afterlife, incredible, irrefutable. You can read of one girl that got translated. It's quite amazing. There's a lot of solid evidence behind it because there was hundreds of police right in the home when she reappeared back after they were looking for many hours. Anyhow, I won't go into that. I want to go now to Deuteronomy 32. Give our ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear over the words of my mouth. This is the last song of Moses. 
My doctrine shall drop as the rain, and my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of Yahweh. Ascribe ye greatness unto our Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is what that's referring to. He is the rock, or the reality that is unshakable. That's basically what it's saying. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. You see, that's rightly perceiving God first in his holiness. Because the word for Yahweh is basically ultimate source of reality, the I am that I am, like this immovable rock represents. In fact, the word truth, if you look it up in a dictionary, means that which is real or reality. And you look up what reality means and, and what is re, what real means, and you'll find that all the dictionaries basically say it's that which is indestructible, immovable, and unchangeable. And that is God. And the truth is that way. It is like a diamond glass without a crack. It can contain water without losing it. But what does the word of God say in Jeremiah about the children of Israel? They have hewn out for me cisterns that can hold no water, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've gone after the loves of the world. And the word of God says in 1 John, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Today, I have seen many people in churches I attend that think they can just some of them, they have this teaching, oh, I can just open my mouth and declare things and God will do things, and yet they're living unholy lives. And yet they're in love with all kinds of things. They buy things they don't need. They waste their time watching sports. I'm not condemning you and saying you can't watch sports. What I am, that could put someone in bondage. What I am saying is it is an idol in many Christians' lives. They spend hours watching sports when they should be in a life of prayer or doing creative things that are redeeming the time for the word of God says, redeem the time for the because the days are evil. And if they're ever evil, it's now. Wake up. You're asleep and you're in a state of pride and presumption so that you speak behind people's backs and you show disrespect in the church. You have a denominative mindset so that because someone believes a little different than you or doesn't fit into your particular mold of the church movement you're in, you're going to throw the cold shoulder to them and you're going to feel a bit uneasy around them. That is not loving one another fervently. And it tells me you're in love with the world and you need to repent. And this is a message to wake up the body of Christ. Repent of the gods of amusement of sports, of pleasure, of materialism. And you should be coming together in your communities and towns with the churches and having three days of fasting and prayer in such an urgent hour as this.
and do an Esther fast if you can. For some strange reason, the number of the times I've done that, I felt it way easier to do than drinking water. I don't know why. I was really high on it. I felt a bit thirsty. That's all because God led me into it. And I don't fast a lot at all. I haven't fasted probably for two years or something. So don't think I'm that kind of a person either. I'm not saying if a person does that a lot that there's anything wrong. No, that's all the more that they're probably more godly than me. But I am here to tell you, because I'm older, I don't do as much. You know, I am 74 and really super good health because I know a lot about hell. But here is what I'm wanting to say. God is wanting us to wake up and repent of the loves of the world that cause us to have a hard heart, a spirit of adultery with the world, causes divorce in the church, it causes division and a denominative mindset. And God is calling the body of Christ together this day to come under a new order, which is the fullness of the headship of Christ, that we do not limit the fullness of God's glory to inhabit the local assembly. And that's why I have the book, God, Headship, and Body Invasion. It is everything in there you can do to facilitate not limiting the fullness of the headship of Christ in your own life personally, as well as in the body of Christ. I've had some terrible experiences recently. I've been really attacked. Yesterday I was attacked in a way that I'll never forget by the enemy and unexpectedly. And it's too much for me to share in detail. Certain lady I've been helping out for years and I still have love and compassion for her. But she obviously has some kind of a mental condition and probably pray to spirits because of some, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I know that it's too much to share here for time. But She keeps on believing things that are totally false about me. And she believes in this thing about racky money and that it's going to suddenly become really wealthy because something's going to happen. And so she couldn't find it because she's got really problems with memory. And finally, she thought that I was stealing it from her. I mean, you know, here I am. I almost lost my place because she went and moved when didn't realize the rent was high and there was nowhere for her to stay. And I... It was, it was terrible because the units here won't allow it for 30 days and here I didn't know it and almost lost my place over here. Tried, been helping her for years, just cleaning up messes and everything and, and feeling bad because it says that we're to show mercy to the feeble-minded and I've been showing mercy to her and here she comes over with her friend from the church I started going to and they're accusing me of stealing here, I found it for her, and she took it to her place, and she lost it there. And then she comes over here and tells me that I stole it from her. And then she starts telling me that I stole $10,000 from her in the bank, which I didn't, and all kinds of other lies. Total lies, and she's screaming and yelling at me and won't stop, and the other lady believes her. And to me, that's really shocking, because it's pretty obvious she's got mental problems. But she's believing her and saying, we're going to bring it before the church and so on. Falsely accusing me. You know what I learned through that? I went and I got angry and I responded because I was angry that she was saying all these things and that she told her brother I stole $10,000 from her and all this, which is totally false. I would never do that. Never stole a thing in my life. That's the truth. And uh, so, and she should know that. I'm living a life of prayer and righteousness. 
And uh, anyhow, that is so disrespectful to come in here and start screaming and yelling at me and then having another person saying they're going to bring it before the church and so on. Told false accusations. And so, I, my, my error was that I should have just laughed at the enemy because the pastor was speaking that on that last Sunday service that we can just laugh at the enemy because, you know, but here I was all upset because, and I was yelling back at her and saying, that's not true. Why are you lying? Why are you believing this lady? Don't you realize she's got a problem? Probably some kind of schizophrenia. She believes things that aren't real and aren't true. I couldn't convince her. She still believed her. You know, I should have just laughed and kept calm and quiet. I would have, you know, said, okay, you want to believe that? Go ahead, because God's my, on my side. He's going to protect me. He's not going to allow me to be wrongly judged. But instead, I was upset, but I learned. Trust God when you're being attacked. Rest in God, because his presence is with you. You don't have to get upset. I got upset. I won't go into sharing anything more on that, but I choose to forgive her, and I choose to forgive this other lady. I don't feel hate in my heart towards it because I realize she's got real problems with her mind, and she's somehow prey to, I think, demonic influences that lie to her as well, but it's certainly a kind of schizophrenia. But I'm sharing this because it's interesting. I got these verses today right after that, and that was not easy because it went on for a long time, and it was embarrassing because she's yelling out loud, and people probably could hear downstairs and everything. I've been praying that God would get someone else to help her out because I've been helping her for years, and it's not easy. Because her mind isn't good, and she can't even go through the till many times without me helping her because she keeps forgetting the numbers on her card. So anyhow, that's that. I'm going to continue to uh, learn not to, um, you know, learn to uh, not compromise anymore with people like this, but at the same time show love and mercy towards the feeble-minded. So brothers and sisters, there's a lot here I could share more. And again, in Deuteronomy, it says, they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, and with abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord hath not done all this, for they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How many of us are caught up with the immediate, caught up with the entanglement of the loves of this world and we're not considering the things we're doing, how we're we going to end up? How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? What that is saying is what was illustrated in Numbers 12 with Miriam and Aram. The Lord shut up Miriam for a whole week with leprosy to get her to a place of humiliation and true repentance. And he, he's doing this with many of his people right now. They're barren. 
but he wants to bring them out of that barrenness. But first, they must come to that place through the desert, through the barrenness of true, genuine repentance. From the hardness and the things that they have done to other brothers and sisters and not repented of. And so, that is what happened to Ari and Miriam. It's what happened to the nation of Israel. God allowed them to go into captivity. It was when he put them through real great trials of difficulty that they turned back to him. And in these last days, what God is saying is that he has been putting you in captivity right now in the United States with this terrible tyranny that is taking place and all the corruption that is being exposed. The reason it is being exposed more and more is because he's about to show the world that the only true God is Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we may even see the scene in Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38 take place, where it says that suddenly the wrath will come up on his face and the nations will be shaken, and then all nations will know that he is the Lord we are living in the time when there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision because people are seeing all the corruption and they're seeing how hopeless their own lives are. And the only hope is in this everlasting kingdom where you can be forever in heaven. And heaven is coming to earth soon in Christ's return. And you want to learn about it? You get my book, Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, on the afterlife, and it will encourage you. And get the book, God, Headship, and Body Invasion, too. I need real support now because I'm in a difficult place financially at this time. I'm believing that my book, which I just got up there in the afterlife, will start selling and as I'm starting to advertise it. Hopefully I'll get out of this situation. But you can go to loverealize.com if you want to support me there. I'm not a nonprofit organization, though. But uh, this, I, I am wanting to be free of debt so I can focus on mobilizing and awakening the body of Christ in each community and city across this nation in Canada and United States to come together and to seek God as never before and to never go back to being the church the way it was. I am tired of churches having pre-service prayer meetings. You know why? Because so many people hardly attend it, first of all. And because secondly, the body of Christ, when they come together, should start on their faces before God and on their knees in utter reverence and consciousness of Christ in their midst instead of gabbing and talking to each other. Yeah, there's a place for that. Maybe you can do that earlier. But there's a time when you should be on your faces before God in prayer in every single service that you gather in. And out of that prayer and great humility and reverence, then springs forth songs of worship, prophetic utterances, spontaneous songs, total freedom to move. It should be facilitated. If the congregation is so used to being passive, then start little mini-servants that they can speak for five minutes and have about 10 or 20 of them speak until they get used to sharing because the church needs to wake up, brothers and sisters, and be everything God has called us to be. We got to get over fear of identity. Uh, you know, if our identity is more in one another than in a relationship with Christ in an assembly, then we are a denomination. God wants us to love one another fervently and receive one another as Christ received us. So thank you for listening to this message. 
spread the good news to awaken the body of Christ out of their sleep. Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. God bless you all.